I'd like you to open your Bibles with me this morning. We're going to be in the New Testament book of Mark. And we're continuing through a sermon series. We're back into it now after our worship week. And we're, we're continuing the sermon series that is following the life of Jesus chronologically from his birth to his crucifixion, to his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, a sermon series simply called, It's All About Jesus. We're looking at the life of Christ every step of the way, and you might notice that we're going to jump some through the Gospels because the story isn't told. None of the Gospel writers are going to write every single bit of the story in order, and so we will move around some. A couple of weeks ago, we watched as Jesus had come down from a mountain city called Cana to the lakeside village called Capernaum. Capernaum is a city that is on the Sea of Galilee, which is more of a lake. It's a, it's a fisher. It's an area where there are a lot of fishermen. And it is here that Jesus started to bring together these men that would eventually be called the 12 disciples. And he brought a few of them to him a couple of weeks ago in our study. And they're men who are going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. They're going to be the ones who are going to go out into the world eventually and begin the church. But he's just now starting to train these men. And it's here in Capernaum that our story continues. As we see in our study this morning, we're going to realize that there are beings that know so much more about Jesus than you and I know about Jesus. You and I, we have what's called the closed canon of Scripture. We have the Bible that it was written for us over 1,500 years on three different continents in two different languages by up to 40 different authors. But we only have a glimpse of Jesus and a glimpse of what he is like and what he's teaching us. But there are those who know so much more about Jesus than we do. Even with thousands of years of study now, there's so much more to know. And you think, who knows more than even our, our most biblical scholars in our day? It's, it's not our grandparents. Our, your grandparents may have gone to church every single week of their life. It's not our grandparents. It's not even the apostles or the disciples who were there walking with them. It's not the men and women who were on earth when Jesus was walking this earth. It's not even Mary and Joseph. It would be fair to say that Mary and Joseph might be the people who know more than anyone about Jesus, about their very own son. However, there's some who know even more. And it goes further back in our Bible than, than even the prophet Isaiah or, or Jeremiah or Daniel or Ezekiel. And it goes way beyond even King David and, and Samson. And, and we're going to go further back than, than Gideon. And, and those who know more about Jesus would go even further back than Moses and Aaron and Abraham and, and Sarah. And, and even before Noah and, and Cain and Abel, even further back, further back than Adam and Eve. See, there's no one who has ever walked the face of this earth that knows as much about Jesus, the Holy One of God, than those who were with them in heaven before creation. There was a time in heaven 
Before creation of this world, when Christ sat on his throne surrounded by angelic beings, and, and before one of these beings named Lucifer left, left heaven and, and went out on his own as a, as a ruler and began to rule this world, and, and many of the beings would have followed him, everyone there in heaven knew exactly who Jesus was. More than you and I would know about him in a thousand years of study they would have spent quality time with him they would have seen him in his authority in heaven once lucifer and his crew of misfit angels left the presence of god and began to rule the earth what they've done is they've taken their knowledge of who christ is in heaven and brought it to earth if you're not sure who the ruler of this earth is, I'll just ask you to go home and turn on the news one day. Let me guarantee you that the one who rules this earth is Satan himself and his band of demons, his band of, of misfit angels who have followed him. There was a moment when Jesus was out in the desert being tempted by the devil and, and Satan had said, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you everything that you can see. All of these kingdoms I will give to you. There's a huge reminder in that story. I want you to realize that you can't give somebody something that you don't have. See, the only way that Satan would have been able to give Christ all that he could see was because Satan owns it. As the ruler of this world, Satan has his hand in every single thing. If you want proof, like I said, just, just turn on the news or turn on evening television. You'll see how many things and, and, and how many lifestyles and how many things that the Bible clearly speaks against that, that our media and our entertainment says, you know, it's okay. It says it, 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 it's, it's all right. That's what happens when, when people accept the leadership of the Satan in our world. So we have demons kind of finding their way into our world and finding their way into people. And I want you to know something about the demons that, that find their way into people in our world. They don't fear you. They don't. They actually don't fear you. Rather, they can control you. They can control us. But there's something that they do fear, or rather someone who they do fear. See, they were all with Jesus before creation, and they know how powerful he is. They know how powerful angels are, but they have no power over the name of Jesus. Even his name brings them fear. Turn with me, if you will, to Mark. We're in chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 28 through, or 21 through 28 this morning in a message that I have titled, The Absolute Authority of Jesus of Nazareth. And you might be thinking this morning, you say, Pastor, is this a sermon about demons? So no, it's not. It's not a sermon about the beings that, that have the power to turn the culture in our world into a world that takes pride in its sin. No, that's not, that's not what this sermon is about. It's a, it's a sermon about the only one who has power over these demons and the sin that they bring to us. It's a, it's a sermon about the only one who brings a cosmic power because he's the one who created the cosmos. It's a, it's a sermon not about the war, but about the winner of the war. 
Mark 1, verses 21 and 22 reads like this. Mark writes, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one who had authority and not as one of the scribes. So I want you to recognize something very important that we're going to see throughout our study this morning, and it's the first point in your notes this morning. If you're joining us for the first time, on the left-hand side of your bulletin, you will see message notes, and there's fill in the blanks, and I'm going to give you those blanks. I'll give them to you. They'll be up on the screen. Point number one in your notes this morning, all authority belongs to Jesus. I want to say that again. It's so important. All authority belongs to Jesus. We've come to this point in our study of the life of Jesus where our Lord is starting to teach these men who are going to be his disciples, who are followers of him. And the first stop in their ministry, after he has called them to follow him, their first stop is the synagogue. Synagogue's a meeting place. It's on the Sabbath, and, and they're meeting, there is religious activity that goes on in the synagogue, and that's where Jesus goes first. And it's common in these days, if a rabbi or a teacher from out of town comes and visits a neighboring synagogue, that he gets time to speak and to teach, and that's what Jesus is doing. But the people there at the synagogue, they recognize that there is something different about the way that Jesus is speaking and teaching. They're astonished at his teachings because he's one who speaks with authority and mark tells us it's not like the scribes were teaching they they would teach differently jesus is it, it's different there's an authority see the scribes could tell stories about what the scriptures which was the old testament then about what the old the old testament would say about creation but isn't there a difference between listening to somebody teach you about creation and somebody who created creation actually teach you about creation, right? If you have Jesus there teaching you exactly how things were made, that's an amazing lecture. That's teaching with authority. See, there's a difference between listening to a lecture about somebody giving you the answer and listening to a lecture from somebody who is the answer. God, Jesus got up and he spoke with, with this authority because he is the authority, because he is the creator, because he is the only one that can bring us out of our sin and they hadn't heard anyone talk like he had before. I'm not going to lie to you, there was a time in my life that I'm, I'll say I'm somewhat embarrassed about now. It was this time when I was in junior high and high school in those years, I was in trouble, like a lot. I said junior high and high school, that's a, about a six-year span. It was often. And I was always, uh, there was a tendency to act up in class, struggling to keep my grades up. And, and once I got my driver's license, things got even worse because now I have the freedom to leave campus at will. It wasn't a school that had fences around it. If you wanted to leave, you would just leave and I did often and it was typically about third period because the only donut shop in our town was bringing out the fresh mid-morning donuts at about 10 o'clock and most days during the week I was there in line with a bunch of my buddies that had piled into the back of my truck 
So I missed third period quite often during my junior and senior year. Typically when we'd get back to campus, we'd try and get back before fourth period started. We would try. But there was this man out by the speed bumps who would welcome us. His name was Bruce Scotty. And Scotty was somewhat of a campus police guy. He, he didn't have a uniform or a baton or anything like that. All he had was a handheld Motorola, and that's all he needed. The first couple of times that Scotty would catch us coming back onto campus, I tried to bribe him with a, a bag of donuts. And um, although he did enjoy our donuts, it still got us in trouble. Um, we coughed up an entire bag, and he still used his radio and and what happened was that it didn't take long between before myself and the new principal of our school Larry Yagoyan was his name where we did we came on a kind of on a first name basis he he and I saw each other quite often somewhere around fourth period when I'd get back on campus but Larry was not too terribly thrilled to meet me that was his first year in as principal and as although our relationship got off to a rocky start every time that Bruce Scotty would radio in saying that you know Thompson's back on campus and and would have to cough up our donuts what Larry did was try to make things really problematic for me he would uh, start it out with detention which wasn't during third period so it was okay and then he, he signed me up for this involuntary Saturday school, which really was a little more problematic. He banned my truck from the parking lot, which uh, was kind of a hassle. And none of those techniques seemed to overpower for me the draw of donuts during third period. What he did, though, Eventually, he found what it took to reach me, and it was taking away my opportunity to walk the stage for graduation. That was really in jeopardy, and he said, you know, if you don't straighten up, you're not going to be able to walk the stage, and that takes away the opportunity for me to be in a cap and gown and get pictures with mom and dad and all of your friends, right? And this is the ceremony you've been, you've been working towards for so long, and that was a big problem for me. And I realized there is somebody in my life at that point that has more authority than I do. And in this case, he had enough authority to change my behavior. At my high school, my principal had the authority. In our lives, no matter how deep our problems are, no matter how deep we are into our sin, no matter how far we are into financial problems or how off track our marriage is, there is somebody with more authority than our difficulties. There is someone who can get us out because he's given us a book, he's given us instructions to get out and to stay out of these areas in our lives where Satan likes to get in. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus of Nazareth has more authority than whatever it is that you are going through. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus shows us and he tells us that he has this authority. Watch this. We're in Matthew 28. Oh, it's up here on the screen. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. See, everything that you see on earth and everything that we can't see on earth is actually existing under the authority of Jesus. Everything you see and everything that you don't see, it goes far beyond those sins that we find ourselves struggling with. It even goes for those behind-closed-doors sins that, that we struggle with. It goes far beyond that relationship with your sister-in-law that, that just is difficult right now. It goes far beyond that situation at work where people may make fun of you because of your faith. Or maybe they call you a hypocrite because they think, oh, well, you claim to be a Christian, but you're still sinning. See, Christ knows that, that, that Christians aren't, aren't perfect, but we're getting better. We continue to work towards, and you've, you've heard me say this before, as we grow closer to Christ, we grow further away from the world. We know who rules this world, right? Satan rules this world. But by definition, growing closer to Christ, we, by default, are growing further away from this world. Jesus has authority over all of this. You and I, watch this, we don't have any authority. We've got no authority on our own. We don't have the authority to be able to sometimes even take ourselves out of the problems in our life that we got here and we don't know how and we don't know our way out. Let me tell you who knows the way out. It's Jesus. The only authority that we know, the only authority that we try and, 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 and claim it's an authority by our own sinful nature, it's tainted with sin. Human authority is tainted. When we're in a world with demons who have infiltrated almost everything that we see, we've got to come to Jesus. You and I, we... We can't speak with the authority that Jesus has. We can speak with, with worship for the one with authority. See, that's what happens when we're learning more about Jesus is we're learning who he is and that we need to come and rely on him 100% to just not be reliant on what we want, but be reliant on what he wants for us. Be willing to change our lives. Be willing to change our behavior, our thoughts, our attitudes, our direction. And to suit what Jesus is asking for us, not to take us and make Jesus suit us. See, when we make Jesus suit us, what we've done is we've tainted Jesus with sin. And he has more authority than that. Some of us might be early in our Christian walk and, and we're just learning about this authority of Jesus. And I want you to remember, I want you to remember that those beings are out there, demons in our world, they just want, they want to entrap us. And you know where they are. We've stumbled across them before. But here, I want you to know something. They know who Jesus is and they respect his authority. Let me tell you something. The demons that, that, that possess our world may actually respect Jesus Christ more than some Christians do. Come back with me into Mark chapter 1. We're in verse number 23. Mark writes this. Remember, Jesus is at the synagogue. Okay? 
And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is a man, an evil spirit in this man who is taking over this man's voice and speaking to Jesus. There's something very important to realize here. In the book of Mark, the first beings to recognize who Jesus is are not humans, are not disciples, they are demons. The first people in the gospel of Mark, the first beings to recognize him as the Messiah are those who were with him in heaven before creation. It's not the people who are at the synagogue. It's not even the disciples who are there at that point. Because, see, they don't fully know who Jesus is yet. We're really early in his ministry. It's those who are with him in heaven. Point number two in your notes this morning, I want you to write this down. Even the most evil forces in our world recognize the authority of Jesus. Even the most evil forces in our world recognize the authority of Jesus. So we're, here we have a man who has come to the synagogue, and he's full of what the Bible calls an unclean spirit. And due to the personal pronoun in this verse, us, it says, what do you have to do with us? We know that there's more than one spirit who's taking over the voice of this man. It would be very fair to assume that none of these people at the synagogue fully knew who Jesus is. They would have known who Jesus was maybe as a man. They've heard about him. They've, they would have known about the Messiah because they've studied that. But people are just now putting two and two together. Maybe they would have known about a couple of his miracles. But see, in the short amount of time that he's been ministering, we are way before the Sermon on the Mount. We're way before raising anyone from the dead. He's just starting out in his ministry. People at the synagogue are just starting to question, who is this guy? And so far, Jesus is doing his best, actually, to keep his Messiahship undercover. Throughout the Gospels, we see that he, uh, he, that, that he performs miracles, and, and he tells people around, he says, hey, don't tell anyone. I want you to go. Don't tell anyone what I just did for you. Because he knows if, if the Roman officials of the area or if the Jews really catch wind, they're going to disrupt his ministry much earlier than, than he wants right now, much more than he anticipates, much earlier than he anticipates. However, these demons that are living inside this man, as soon as they see Jesus, they cry out. They say, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Are you going to destroy us? You know why they say, are you going to destroy us? Because they know that he can. That's why they say, are you going to destroy us? See, no one else at the synagogue says, what are you doing here, Jesus? Are you going to destroy us? No, I just came to church. Because they don't know him as somebody who can destroy evil. The demons do. And they call him out. You are the Holy One of God. No other human in this synagogue is calling Jesus the Holy One of God, but the demons are because they know him. No one else knows it. The fallen angels know it. These created beings, created by God, they know that Jesus was there. The, the Bible says everything that was created was created through him. 
through Jesus. They know who he is. It's not often that, it's not often that we'll use science from the pulpit that will actually use scientific illustrations from the pulpit. But it's very important today. Science does some amazing things for us in our world. Actually, your science book teaches you so much about what God has done. It teaches you so much about what God has created. It can show us what goes on inside our body, how, how delicately God has put us together. There is something that science shows us and tells us that I think is absolutely amazing. Science will actually tell you that darkness does not exist. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as dark under science. There is, though, scientifically speaking, what we call an absence of light. You can't shine a dark light into a light room and take away the light. The only way to make a light room dark, right, is to create an absence of light. You have to take, the only way is to withdraw, right? You're withdrawing the light. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is light. God created light. Where God is, light is. Even in our world, even in a world where, where demons possess the world of darkness, there is simply, there's corners of our lives that have an absence of light. Those are the corners that demons love. They love to come into our lives and say, you know what, it's okay. Let's go in here and let's just pull this drape down. Let's put our Bible somewhere else so the light's not shining here. See, Satan wants to create a room for you where God can't come into these hidden areas. Sin loves darkness. It loves closed doors. It loves an area where you're alone with no accountability. Demons love dark places. In the, the corners of our world where we've taken our Bible out and, and we've put culture in, Demon, they're starting to love our school systems these days because we've pushed out all of the light. They're starting to love our universities because we've pushed out all of the light. They're starting to love nighttime television because we've pushed out all of the light and darkness can just thrive in this area and take a culture and turn it into a culture that says this is okay when the Bible says this is not but even though the dark corners of our world might be hidden from other people, they are not hidden from God. They're not hidden from His authority over evil. In James chapter 2, verse 19, James writes this, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And they tremble said, even these demons, even sin believes in God and knows that he has authority. But sometimes we fall. We fall into maybe a lifestyle or some sort of pattern of behavior that the Bible clearly speaks against and it clearly tells us that, that this is not what God wants for us. And, and that feeling then that comes deep inside that's telling you that there's something wrong, you know what that is? 
That is our sin recognizing the authority of Jesus. Some churches are really reluctant to speak about sin from the pulpit. I just want you to know you're not in one of those churches. Because, see, what happens in our world is they say, well, if you, say, you talk about sin and you talk about money, people are going to leave because they get offended. And then, and then they just want to leave because it's not comfortable. Let me tell you what, that's exactly what Satan wants. He loves creating in us a sense of offense, saying, oh, I'm offended. Let me tell you something. If you're ever reading your Bible and you come to a spot in your Bible that you're testing and it's testing you and you're saying, ooh, I don't know if I like that. Let me tell you what, you're about to be hit with some truth. You're about to be hit with some truth that is life-changing. Because when you come across something that it's like, ooh, that kind of hurts. Yeah, it hurts because that's God's truth. We're not truth, right? That's why we read. That's why we're learning be offended by our sin or by others speaking against it is exactly what Satan wants. But what happens is when our hearts recognize the power of Jesus, we can overcome that. Amen? Amen. Satan wants to tell us that it's 100% okay, that there's nothing to worry about, that it's okay to be who we are and, and, and to, to claim that and that we should just stand up and be so proud of our sin. That's what our culture says, but that's not what Jesus says. What Jesus says is he says, he says, come to me. He says, pick up your cross and come to me. He says, take my yoke because it is easy and I am here to give you rest. See, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus reminds us that our Lord and Savior is more powerful than all evilness, evil, all darkness, and all sin. That's the gospel. It reminds us that Jesus has overcome everything that we're dealing with. It reminds us that we are made in the image of God, that we are adopted into his family, and we've been given by the blood of Christ atonement for our sins. It's already paid for. The path is already there in front of us. And I want to tell you right now that there is no evil in this world that you are walking through that has power over Jesus. None. There is nothing that you are walking through that Christ will not walk through with you and ahead of you. That's what he does. It's in the Bible for you and I to live under the guidance of Christ. Christ will provide a way for you and I to come out of any of the sin that we're living in because Jesus is more powerful. I don't know what it is that you're dealing with or that you're struggling with, but I want you to know this, Jesus is more powerful. Come back with me into Mark chapter one, we're in verse number 25. I want you to see what happens when Jesus speaks. This is amazing. But Jesus reprimanded him. He says, be quiet, come out of that man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed through the man into a convulsion, and then he came out of them. See, not only does Jesus have the authority over evil spirits, he actually is in control over them. Watch this, point number three in your notes. Let's write this down. When Jesus speaks, darkness, evil, and sin, listen. When Jesus speaks, darkness, 
listens. Isn't that amazing to know wherever you're going, whatever you're walking into that's dark, you don't know where you're going, you take a light with you because it's going to be listening to Jesus. See, Jesus just spoke to one of the most powerful beings that they had seen in Capernaum. The people knew how powerful evil spirits were, and they know how weak humans are to overpower them. Jesus didn't have to physically wrestle this man. He didn't have to physically beat a demon out of a man. He didn't have to medicate this man. All he had to do was speak and say, come out. There is so much power in the words of Jesus. So much power that just look to the Bible to see how much authority that Jesus has. Look at this authority. He has the authority to make blind men see. The authority to make deaf people hear. To make lepers walk. To make dead men rise. To have a man stretch out his withered hand and have it heal right in front of him. Jesus is so powerful that he could take the knapsack lunch of a schoolboy and feed 5,000 people with it. He's so powerful that he can scold the clouds to tell them to stop their thunder. He heals a sick man, a sick child of a Roman government official from 20 miles away. And probably one of the most powerful examples of the authority of Jesus is his ability and his authority to forgive sin. The scribes questioned his authority in Mark chapter 2. In Mark 2, Jesus says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk? And Jesus stands up and he tells these scribes and these religious leaders, he stands up and it's almost like, hey, watch this, okay? You think when I just say your sins are forgiven that that's easy to do? What do you think? You think it's easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Watch this, everyone. And Jesus is going to show his authority on earth. He says in verse number 10, but they, you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The Bible says that all of creation is made through him. So if he makes all things, he has authority over all things. Everywhere Jesus goes, his light shines. Because Jesus is light. And see, when Jesus comes into a very dark world like ours, Jesus brings a very bright light like his. Darkness listens to Jesus. Evil listens to Jesus. And sin, our sin, listens to Jesus. There's no such thing as darkness. There's only an absence of light. What is it that we can do to cure the darkness in our lives? That recipe is kind of simple. Add Jesus. How is it that we get our marriages back on track? That, that recipe is simple. Add Jesus. 
How is it that we can step out of this behind closed door life with no accountability for our sin and turn away from ourself that is just being led by this world? That recipe is simple. Add Jesus and add light. See, darkness cannot live where light lives. They can't occupy the same space. This is either a Jesus space of light or it is not. Once you add a little bit of Jesus and that light starts to grow and the seeds that somebody else planted one day, those seeds start to grow. When, when you continue to come to Christ and you continue learning and reading and praying and you start understanding who Jesus is, what you start to see is that change from night to day. You start to see that darkness start going away because light's coming into a dark spot now. It's coming into an area where darkness was. And now we're putting light in there. And that darkness scatters. See, only Jesus has the authority to make the darkness stop. We can't do it. We can't do it on our own. Our flesh wants to tell us that it's okay, that what we're doing is, is absolutely okay, and it's okay to be in both worlds and have a whole lot of this world and have a little bit of Jesus, but that's not what Jesus asks for, right? That's not what he's asking for. He says, sell everything that you have. He told, he told the man in, in the scripture, sell everything you have and come and follow me. He says, don't bring anything with you. I want you to come with me because I'm going to change you. I'm going to turn you into a different person. You're going to become a disciple of mine. You're going to become a leader. You're going to be somebody who's going to tell others about Jesus. And I want you to follow me, not for... I want you to follow me and tell others about this change that you're about to go through. That's what I want. And I want you to see what happens in your life and the life of those around you once Jesus starts shining a light and shining his authority into your life. Because what happens is this. Jesus will come into an area of your life that is ruled by demons and Satan, and he will simply say, get out. When he speaks, evil, darkness, and sin, listen. We've already talked about the fact that they fear him. I want you to come back with me to Mark chapter 1. We're in verse number 27. I want you to see what happens. This is what happens when, when people see what Jesus does in your life. It reads like this. It says, amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout Galilee and the entire region. The final point in your notes this morning, watch this. The good news of Jesus Christ grows, redeems, forgives, and saves. The good news of Jesus Christ grows, redeems, forgives, and saves. That's what the gospel is all about. It's about letting the words of Jesus permeate your heart so much that they literally change your life. There is absolutely nothing about 
who you are that will remain once Jesus gets hold of you. He's going to turn you into not who you are, but who he wants you to be, who you were made to be. That's who you were designed to be. That's what Jesus does. He takes what he created and he gets you back in line with your purpose. And it's for that, it's, it's the fact that Jesus can get us through what we're going through and put us back on the, on, on the track that we're supposed to be on, that, that we should be forever thankful and rejoice fully because by nature we are sinful beings, but by Christ we are redeemed and forgiven. It's what Jesus can change in our life that just amazes us or should amaze us all. He's so powerful and his authority is so strong that even his words can change a life. Some people will say, well, pastor, I think that Jesus is telling me this or I think that Jesus is telling me that. And the first thing you're going to hear from me is find it in scripture and show me. Let's talk about it. Let's find it in scripture. See, I want you to know how Jesus talks to us these days. He talks to us right here. He talks to us in this book. See, the words of Jesus don't come from our dreams. They don't come from YouTube. They don't come from movies. They don't come from other people at work. They come from one place. They come from this book. The words from Christ are right here. We come together on Sundays to study. We come together on Thursdays to study. We come together to understand what, what Christ is telling us. This world will twist Scripture to make it say whatever you want it to say, but Jesus won't. He's not going to twist this. Let me tell you something about the Word of God. It's pretty blunt, right? It is pretty blunt. It tells us it tells us the way that it wants us to live, but it also tells us very bluntly that I died for you. And it tells us that I love you. And it tells us that your sins are forgiven. It tells us that the gospel by nature is a word that saves a sinful people because God created, He created us and He wants to spend eternity with us. 